Yeah. <laughs> I know the world's right again for you. Yeah, you're closer to heaven up there. I know it. You tell me that all the time. Hey, let's give it up for our worship team. They were on point this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that. You all sounded great. I, I could go through that and do that all again. That was just, uh, I, I loved that. that was, I was worshiping God with you this morning. That was good. Well, there's one other thing that happened this morning that I don't normally have happen. Uh, I filled the dunk tank with water this morning. Yeah, yeah. 60 balmy degrees. You know, that's what it is out there. But wait. You have to be able to throw a ball well enough to actually hit the circle, you know. I might be okay. I don't know. We'll see. I will say this. If you're between the ages of 12 and 21, we have a spot across the street where we're going to have you throw. <laughs> a little safety there. Uh, we are going to have some fun after service today, and we are going to be going out on the lawn. There's going to be food. There's going to be the dunk tank uh, and lots of other activities, and Pastor Eric's going to tell you more about that in just a bit. But I want to remind you why we're doing that. We are doing that today because we're a church that wants to lean into community. And in fact, we're going to have a lot more to say about that in the next two weeks and really over the course of this year. We are starting a brand new year together. Schools are starting up again. You've got football starting up again. And the fall just kind of breeds that time where we're like, okay, all things are new and let's lean into some things together. If you've been around CCF for very long, you know that we have a mission statement. In fact, Melanie just even told us what that mission statement is in this morning. I have it on the screen for you because I want you to see it. And this is our mission statement. CCF makes maturing disciples of Jesus. In fact, you know what? You say it with me. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. CCF makes maturing disciples of Jesus who live in Christian community and bring the hope of the gospel to the world. That first part is what we really anchor on the most. We are making maturing disciples of Jesus. We are making disciples of those who are just coming to know him and those who've known him for 20, 30, or 40 years. We're helping everybody develop a deeper and more intimate relationship with him. That second piece is operative because we cannot do that by ourselves. And so this year especially, we are emphasizing what it means to live in Christian community. And that's going to be a central focus of ours during the course of this year. It would be important today if we define what we mean by that, give some terms, talk about what we mean to live in Christian community. And chances are good that if you've been around CCF for very long again, you know that community is a very important word for us. In fact, it's even in the name of our church. And I've talked about this before. But repetitions are friends, so let me once again just define for you the biblical word of community, what it means and how it's kind of used in the New Testament. The biblical word for, coin, uh, for community is koinonia. It's up here on the screen. In fact, say that with me. Koinonia. One, two, three. Koinonia. And the word is used more than 20 times in the New Testament. It's translated as fellowship or association or community or participation. So all of those English words can translate that one Greek word, koinonia. Every time we use the word koinonia, it means we're sharing in something. That's what it means, to share in something. And it's either something I'm sharing with somebody as like an object that I'm giving them, like maybe money I can give to somebody or I give them some good that they need. 
Or it could mean I share some of myself with you. And so we're participating or we're sharing in this time together. And so every time the word community is being used, it means we're sharing something together. Let me give you an example of that. Maybe you have a friend that just suffered a loss. They're really down. You decide to go be with them. At that moment, you're practicing koinonia because you're sharing with them your presence. Maybe you know somebody who uh, has lost a job and you bring them some groceries. That object that you're giving to them is sharing with them something of importance, and that is koinonia. Maybe you're giving money to somebody who's going on a short-term missions trip somewhere. That's sharing something of value with somebody. That's koinonia. And so the basic understanding of this idea of community is we share in something together. Now, there's something that makes our form of community different than the world's form of community, and it is that we're centered around a person, the person of Jesus. And Jesus and his leadership is what we are in submission under, and that's what brings us into Christian community. That's what allows us to have Christian community. That's what gives us the power to have Christian community. And again, we're very, very different people. We come from different walks of life, different educational backgrounds, maybe different socioeconomic groups, all of that all mixing together. And what makes that work is Jesus. And he's the one that really is our glue. So we couldn't have Christian community unless the Lord brought us together and gave that to us. Well, there's one passage in the Bible that uh, is referred to very often when we start looking at a snapshot of the early church. And open your Bibles now because we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Maybe you'll get your phone out or maybe you have a physical Bible. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And let me give you a little background here. Uh, Acts chapter 2 opens up with Jesus who has just been uh, crucified. And if you remember, there are people that have come from all over the known world for the Jewish holiday of Passover. And so that's what's brought everybody from the known world there. Jesus has crucified And he rises again, and word starts to spread throughout the city. And uh, boy, everybody is really excited to hear about this man that rose from the dead. Jesus at that time is uh, in his new body, and so he has some special powers. For, For instance, Jesus is just able to appear at a spot almost invisibly. And so again, he represents himself to his disciples, and he teaches his disciples for 40 days until he comes to the spot where he's ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he does that. The church is remaining in Jerusalem, and all of this kind of excitement is in the air over uh, Jesus and his his story and his life. And what happens is they decide to have a um, service, and they decide to preach this message about Jesus and his resurrection to all the people that are in the city. And amazingly, 3,000 people trust Jesus that day and want to be baptized. And they are baptized in these pools that are around the city that are kind of ritual uh, cleansing pools, but they use those and they press those into service in order to baptize all these people. And the church is born, and man, is she just, you know, you know on point. Dr. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, says, in a kind of a narrative format, let me take you by the hand and let you know what the early church was like. And so he writes this little piece that ends the story portion of Acts chapter 2 and says, let me just tell you in some words what the church was like at that time. 
I'm picking up in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all who had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we are asking you over this next two uh, Sundays to reveal to us what it means to live in Christian community. This is your idea, and we want it to sink deep into our bones, and we want you to give us the power to practice what it is you want. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you now. We ask that this ancient word would have life today given by your Spirit and would be implanted in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The staff were at Denise's and my house on Friday night. And periodically we start the year by just having the staff all over. And well, this Friday night, we had uh, Greek gyro sandwiches, which were scrumptious, and we loved those. We played a game that was uh, called a caveman game, in which you kind of guess uh, words by kind of giving one word uh, clues. And, uh, you know, there's this little... Uh, a uh, little caveman stick that you get to kind of bounce on the top of the head that doesn't do it right. Anyway, it was fun. And uh, we had a blast with that. We actually shared a little bit about what we thought, you know, what went well for us this summer, some things we remembered from summer, and same things that we're looking forward to in the fall. But, you know, the part that I think I enjoyed the most was that we all took a deep breath and said, for this season of life, we are together in our service of the Lord, of you as our church, and of each other. And who knows what the future holds, but we know right now that's what God has for us, and we're leaning into that, and that moment tasted so good because it was a glimpse, it was a little taste of what it means to live in community. What is Christian community? How do you know when it, you have it? How do you know when you're living out of that? Today, I want to help define that using Acts chapter 2. And I want to use four contrasts. By contrast, I mean not this, but that. And I think you'll get what I mean as we kind of get into this. But I'm going to use four contrasts to explain what true Christian community is. Here's the first contrast of explaining Christian community. It is we not me. I don't know if you noticed it, but when I read that passage, they was the operative word. Everything was described in corporate terms, not in individual terms. And so it said, they devoted themselves to teaching. They broke bread. They prayed. They shared things in common. They praised God. They, they, they. And so this idea was given very explicitly that it's we that makes up the church and we has got to at times take precedence over me. 
I began to have a greater interest when I'm part of the church in what's best for all of the church and not just what is best for me. That's very hard for most Americans to grasp because we live in a country in which there is hyper-individualism. And that's what is the value that's celebrated the most is what matters to me is what I'm going to pursue and forget everybody else because I want to get mine. And that hyper-individualism is not what is a biblical value. Now again, some level of individualism, we get that. We see individual stories in the scriptures. But all the time, the Bible is talking in these terms of we. We are in this together. And I have to say, there are some cultures around the world that are ahead of us when it comes to thinking like that. In fact, I remember an old, um, an old axiom or an old proverb that was from Africa. And uh, it's, it says this. In fact, I have it up here for you. I am because we are. That's a, that's a Kenyan, I think, proverb. And it is, I am because we are. And it underscores that there's interconnectedness between all of us. And that if I'm going to thrive as an individual, it's because the community is doing well. And I'm finding my identity within the group that I'm a part of. In this case, obviously, the church. And, and my well-being is closely tied to the well-being of all of you. I'm wondering if this year, if we might ask maybe that question a little more operatively, what's best for the church? What, what is best for the church right now over against maybe what's best for me right now? Can I give you an example? You know, I'm an older guy now, and there are a lot of old songs that I love. There's old songs that are from my past that I love singing, I love thinking about. And, you know, one of them that came to me this week was a song that goes like this. I'm going to sing, sing, sing. I'm going to shout, shout, shout. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. Praise the Lord. When those gates are open wide, I'm going to sit by Jesus' side. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Now, if I had a raise of hands, three of you know that song today. Right? And I like singing that song. But you know what? I have to arrive at a spot of saying, what's best for the church? I'm seeing a lot of young faces. And I want the church to be relevant and meaningful and, and in your eyes something that you could so wholeheartedly get into. And if I have to just sing that song at home because that's what's best for the church, that's what I'm going to do. Because I want what is best for the church. I know that can be a little nebulous at times to kind of figure that out. But at a heart level, it's we, not me. And that's where we start. We start with the value of what is best for the majority or the, the church at large. And sometimes my personal feelings and my preferences have got to be shelved. All right, number two, the second comparison of true community is it's relational, not transactional. Relational, not transactional. And in verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And so the definition of their lives together was the depth and the health of their relationships with each other. It was about these relationships. So many times, we in our lives are all about transactions, and here's what I mean by that. You go to the grocery store. You get a, 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 a cart full of groceries and you give some money for that. 
It's a transaction. You get what you need. You know, you go to Starbucks and you get a latte, a transaction. You, you know, you get what you need. You maybe go check out a library book. You don't talk to anybody. You go check out that book, transaction. It's what you need. We go to a movie theater. We sit down. We watch a movie with a bunch of anonymous people. And it's a transaction. We just get what we need. Friends, that's not the church. <laughs> the church is not a transaction. The church is a group of people, their relationships, and every time you step into the church, you are thinking about those relationships. Every time you step into the church, you're asking the question, how does my presence today help to grow this body? It's like a muscle being exercised. And every time I'm part of this, I'm contributing in some valuable way towards this group that matters to God and matters to me. In Christian community, it's not enough to punch the ticket and say, well, I attended. As if attendance by itself is anything transformational. It takes relationships. It takes the building of those relationships. And it's getting to know people at those deeper levels and sharing things that are really the part of life that matters. I lost a job. I suffered a car accident. I got ill. It's all those things that are being shared and somehow we're coming together to support each other in this difficult thing called life. Let me go back to the movie theater for a second. I want to paint a picture for you. Say you go to the movie theater, you're getting ready to watch the movie. You know what happens. About five minutes out, everybody's still finding their seats and people are looking at their cell phones and they're kind of looking one more time at some text messages or something. And you know, imagine that you leaned over to the person next to you don't know them, and you said, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer this week. That person would look at you like, first of all, why are you talking to me? And secondly, like, why are you telling me something maybe so down like that? Contrast that with the church. That would be a thing that I would hope you would share here and you would do that because you'd say, these are people that love me and care for me, and I matter somehow in this house. And so I could share that, and it would be okay to share that, right to share that. And in fact, I would probably have people that are going to come rushing towards my care and my aid because I was that vulnerable, and I shared that. This year, we are asking everybody to pay attention to those relationships, not just transactions, and we're asking everybody to find a deeper set of relationships here. And you can find it in a multiplicity of ways. Perhaps you would be part of a community group that meets in homes. Those happen throughout the week. You can get together with a group of people that even some people you kind of like and want to be with, and you form a group and you walk out life together. Maybe you'll be a part of the men's or the women's Bible study. Those are both starting about right now. And that would be a great opportunity for you to get into that smaller group. Maybe you would be serving in a ministry team of some kind. That would be a way for you to get into that smaller group. Maybe you'd like to be a part of a discipleship group. Those happen in one-on-one -on -one as well as some smaller groups. Whatever the expression is, the point is you're getting into a group where you're known. You're getting in a group where you're knowing other people, and that by itself is breeding this environment in which you can have relationships at the depth in which actually, you know, transformation actually begins to happen. Can you imagine if we all had a litmus test this year 
And the litmus test at the end of a Sunday was not, you know, how did I like that sermon today? Or was music good today? I mean, that wasn't the litmus test. The litmus test was, did I go and give myself to God and who did I meet? Who did I meet? Who did I learn something about? Who did I pray with? Who did I encourage? And at the end of the day, it was a measuring of, again, my own connection with people and my own contribution to the growth of the church. I'm telling you, we'd be a different church if that was our litmus test. And I think it would honor God and it would grow this body. All right, number three, the third contrast or comparison of to true community is it's sacrificial, not comfortable. Did you notice what they did? They sold all of their possessions and belongings to help others. And let me just paint a picture of what I think was happening here. They had all these people that were in town from all over the place for the Passover uh, celebration. And the people decided to stay on because they're now learning about Jesus. And they decide, we've got to sell some of our property and some of our possessions because we've got all these people here and we need to care for them with food and lodging. And so in order to grow that embryonic church, they take a big step and they sell things that are of value to them because they're helping these individuals that are part of their community at least for a time. If you expect the church simply to be comfortable, you're missing the point. Being a part of a church is going to cost you something. To use a word, it's going to leave a mark. And that's right. That's what happens when you're a part of the church. And there's parts of us that kind of buck against that because we don't want to be inconvenienced in our lives. Well, let me just tell you, Denise and I chatted a little bit this week about some things that are inconvenienced inconveniencing to us, not just as a couple, but really us as, 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 again, a church or even a society. One of the ones we thought of is taking somebody to the airport. You, you, you know the saying or that, that somebody comes to you and goes, I'm flying out Friday at 5 o'clock. Can you take me to the airport? It's like, I, I, I want to say, could I get a root canal instead? Because that's about what it feels like. But you do that with people that you love, even if it's inconvenience, if it inconveniences you. Think about this. Uh, when somebody asks you, help me, help me move. And Denise and I were chatting about uh, during COVID, there was a comedian that was talking about individuals that said, uh, can you help me move? And you say, you know, uh, I might have the sniffles. And, you know, during COVID, it was like, oh, whoa, 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 you, you, know, you stay over there. So if you had just even a little sniffles, it kind of got you out of that. And why would we want to get out of that? Because it's a day of your life. It's, it's long, it's arduous, it's hard. And that's what you do with people that you love. And that's what you do with people that you're in relationship with. Here's my point. To be part of a church means that you're actually going to be inconvenienced at some times. You know, if you're not... Chances are good your relationships are not even deep enough to be able to sustain that. And so, again, we are individuals who are willing to be inconvenienced. And church is not always about fun. Jesus didn't go to the cross because it was part of his you know, self-fulfillment plan. He went to the cross because he was a living sacrifice on behalf of all of us. He knew what it meant to sacrifice. And if we are going to live in Christian community, it's going to cost us something. It's going to be something that is hard for us to do at times. And it's going to take away the comfort quotient of that. 
You can't be a part of a church that's just gonna confirm all of your beliefs and preferences. It might be tempting for you to be a part of a church where you just always like the music and all the political leanings are right down your alley, where you're never pressed on things like the way you spend your time or your money or what you watch on TV. You want a church that pretty much just stays out of your life, stays in its own lane and doesn't ask many questions. Friends, that is a museum, not a church, all right? A museum is what you go and just see and never ask you any questions and just deliver something to you. That's not the church. The church is a place where ah, toes get stepped on at times and where self-interest is not our highest value. Sacrifice often is over comfort. The biblical ideal of Christian community is to intend actually purposefully to live our lives together somehow for the glory of God, and that oftentimes is very hard work. There's fourth comparison I want to bring to you today, and it's that it's about worship and not entertainment. In Acts chapter 2, the passage says that the church values several things that actually feeds their souls. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, they pray, they attend religious services at the temple, and they praise God together, and that all of that is around a singular focus. What's that focus? The focus is around the worship of God. That, that's what all of these activities are doing is it's pushing them in the direction of the worship of God. That's their driving purpose. I want to remind you today what it means to worship. What does that mean? word mean, worship, when we use that word? I'm stealing today from a book called Worship. It's called Worship the Missing Jewel, and it's by Ronald Allen. And, and this is what he says. Worship is an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. It's an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. And Alan goes on to say, worship is not passive but participatory. Worship is not a mood but a response. Worship is not a feeling. It's a declaration. And if you caught that, worship is going to always require something of you you're going to have to come and give a piece of yourself in order to actively worship. And you might do that with perhaps your hands or your voice. You might do that with your body posture. All of those ways are ways about you saying, yes, I'm contributing, I'm a part of this right now. I'm afraid that our entertainment culture has bled into the church. Netflix doesn't require much participation from me. I turn on the show, and to use an old word, I veg. I just sit there, and I let it kind of flow over me, and I just try to turn my brain off and just be entertained at that moment. That is not what it means to come and participate and to worship at church. It's not a Netflix moment. You are here to worship the living God. You're here to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're here to worship the God that Mary, again, gave birth to as a son, that Paul preached about, that Peter had this sermon where 3,000 people uh, trusted Jesus. That's the church that you're a part of. That's the God that you come to worship and it's always meaning that you are coming to declare God's value and you're doing that full-heartedly. It's coming from a heart that is thankful to God. The church is a place 
that is a workshop in order to teach you about how to worship and pray. Because all of us need a lab. We need a place where we can try that. And so the church on Sunday morning, as well as in the smaller expressions of church life, are that place where you get to go try something. You get to say, what does it feel like for me to worship? What does it feel like for me to pray? And that's all learning for you what it feels like to live out that life of prayer and faith. This place is not a place where it's fundamentally a place where you're just, you, you hold up scorecards. That was good or, you know, I give that an eight today. That, that's not what this is. This is a place where God wants to meet you and he's wanting you to respond to him and his goodness to you and he's wanting you, for you to respond to declare his goodness in the company of God's people. Because being the church is not about entertainment. It's about making us holy agents who are active in worship of God and in this life together where we celebrate and live out the gospel of Jesus. Living together in Christian community is hard. It's hard because, well, sinners are a problem at times, right? And, well, saints can be a pain in the book too. I mean, they're almost as big a problem sometimes as the sinners. I mean, because, again, of all the self-righteousness that can come up on the inside of us. And still, we are called to live in community and we're called to live with each other it's a very common thing today for people to say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church or I don't have a church body. And that's, that's very easy for that to be done today. And one of the reasons I hear most often is I had a bad experience at church. I, I got hurt at church. And I kind of want to raise my hand and say, uh, if you've been around the church for very long, that's probably true. Because there's a bunch of sinners there. I don't know if you noticed that. But they're doing their best, but they step on each other's toes all the time. And if that was the litmus test that you just didn't have to be at church if you ever got hurt, I'm telling you, I mean, it wouldn't be the church. Another thing is there's the possibility that, again, during COVID, everybody just kind of got out of the cycle of being with God's people. And it was just easy to have that happen. That is never God's best God's solution is always for the church to be together, for the church to come together in the worship of God and the support of each other. And when we imagine that we can totally, totally go independent and self-sufficient, we're deluding ourselves because it's God, never God's plan. It's not his best for you and it's not his best for me. Let's live out this year in Christian community. Let's pay close attention to the ways that we are in relationship, living out life with each other, sacrificing on each other's behalf, becoming inconvenienced at times, but coming together for glorious moments of the practice of worship and praise. And if we do that, I think that we are stronger for it. We're glorifying God in the midst of that, and we are becoming a healthier church. If we do that, I think that we are at that moment realizing that we are following Jesus, we're loving God, we're loving each other as best we can, and we're fulfilling the words of Jesus that says, John, the gospel of John, they will know you are mine by the love you have for one another. They'll know you're Christians. By your love.
Father, we want this year to be a special one in which we learn what it means to live in Christian community, as hard as that can be at times. There's some reorientation that probably has to happen in all of our hearts, and we're asking you to till the soil to do that. Lord, let us be fully yours, and let us live the the lives that most glorify you. Thank you for Acts chapter 2 that's been used by the church throughout generations. And it always brings us back to bedrock. We love you. We give our lives to you and we wish to live in Christian community. And all God's people said, amen.